From the Frying Pan, my name is Vince Cassay. I'm your host of this podcast uh, where we talk about restaurants, people, innovation, operations, and all of the above. Uh, today we have Chef Eric Lackey. He is the, well, I'm going to let you fill in what your actual title is and what you're doing here at Harpin Harris. Oh, well, thank you. Good to be here. Um, yeah, here I am the executive chef and I'm also the managing director for Smugglers. Um, at this time, I'm overseeing two of our five locations. Uh, the reason for just two locations, we have three that's south of us here in Punta Gorda, but we also have another location here in Tampa and one in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So I'm in between Tennessee and Florida now, so it's a good little stretch, but it's a, it's a fun run. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, so this restaurant is so large and so dynamic uh, in terms of what you're overseeing, what your innovations are, you know, how to execute this type of volume. Tell me a little bit about just the concept in general and what you do at each location in Tampa and Pigeon Fort. Well, what we hear is, you know, we're a kind of an upscale casual seafood crab house. Uh, the thing that makes us a little unique is we're here in downtown Tampa, so we're very urban. Uh, restaurants all lined in wood that we build out of our own wood shop. Comes off our own property. We raise our own trees in the Smoky Mountains. So when you come in the building, everything you see here is we've made it. We grew it. So it's all us. Um, great part about us is we're a very large facility. We, we build large restaurants. This location here is uh, 18,000 square feet, almost 600 seats. Our one in Pigeon Forge is 21,000 square feet, 700 seats. Both restaurants are two floors, multiple bars, and we do big volume. We also have a crab house in Punta Gorda that's 450 seats. Then we have our original Harpoon Harry's, which is for lack of a better term, an open-air beach bar. Sits right on Charlotte Harbor. Come in, live music, food in a basket, good cold drinks right on the water. And then we have our white tablecloth restaurant above that that overlooks the harbor as well. And that's called the Captain's Table. And that's a little more of our little fine dining, little upper scale type restaurant. Very cool. Yeah, we're, we're actually sitting in the restaurant now. And as you look around, I mean, there is beautiful woodwork. It's a huge facility. I mean, this is, is a big undertaking. Um, let's start with humble beginnings. Tell me a little bit about where your career started and the different places you've worked and, and a little bit about each step. Well, I was a kind of a troubled kid, had, had some varied things in my past, you know, great family. My mother trying to raise two boys. She did everything she could. Uh, wasn't because of her. It was growing up in South Florida during the eighties, working in restaurant business, kind of just if you ever read Anthony Bourdain, I, w I basically lived that at about age 15, 16, 17. So wrong crowd, wrong or right people, depending on how you look at it. Um, you know, then I uh, got an opportunity to go away to college and kind of stayed on that beat up path. And then when I moved here to St. Pete, Clearwater, I was recruited down from Innisbrook um, to work there. Then I kind of was still on the wrong path. and got in some trouble and then I met a chef who took me in, Tom Pritchard, and mentored me. I was 20 years old, just getting out of trouble and uh, he really took me under his wing and you know, showed me the, the way to kind of change my life into a positive thing and you know, selling drugs or being a bad kid, well, it's all the same hustle if you're selling food. It's just one product or another product and 
And I always enjoyed food. My family's from France, so being a European family, food was always the focus of our our life. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a unique opportunity to kind of change myself, and I wanted to do it. I was at that point. Tom Pritchard really guided me with a lot of, I didn't know it at the time, life lessons. We'd be filleting a salmon, and he would tell me things like, well, when you're filleting it, don't cut here and do this. And, you know, always think through before you cut and plan. Well, he was telling me other things than just how to cut a piece of fish, and it took me a little while to get it, but I finally got it. Um, so I worked for, for him for many years at the uh, 94th Aero Squadron. At the same time, I worked for the Columbia Restaurant Group at the Columbia and St. Pete at the Pier. Then I stayed aboard with Tom Pritchard for many years, opened a couple of restaurants with him, became a sous chef. Um, but you know, that was after about five, six years of grunting away on the line, six, seven days a week, open to close. Um, you know, this industry, it's, it's one that you work to get. There is some opportunities that might land in your lap that seem great or push you forward or it's contacts. There is a lot of that involved, but really, I think to be a successful chef is you have to learn it. You have to grow it and do it because if you don't know how to do it, how do you tell someone how to do it? Um, and I think just growing in that atmosphere, too, helps your managerial skills. You know, I was a kid. I was trying to learn how to deal with adults and then became an adult. Now I'm learning how to deal with kids. Um, <laughs> So it's, it's been an adventure. You know, after I left that, that company after many years, I uh, had the opportunity to join another company with the Pappas family over in, in Pinellas County. And I opened up four or five concept restaurants with them, one of them being Flamestone American Grill. And I brought the tableside guacamole to the Pinellas Hillsborough County. There was only one other restaurant, Rosa Mexicano, in New York and Boca Raton doing it. And it worked out real well for us. And I had a great experience with them. I worked for them for about 12 years. Then I had the opportunity to go back to the Columbia restaurant, open a, a restaurant named Eulalie, which I know you're very familiar with. Yep. Um, and that was just an amazing adventure of being a chef that got to sit at a table and decide the color of the floors, the paint on the walls, the, you know, Richard Gonsmart was a great man and, and let me see the vision he had because he wanted me to put that vision on the plate. Mm -hmm. um, and it was challenging, it was hard, it was fantastic, it was unique. Mm -hmm. um, it really, I think, at that point, kind of almost changed who I was to, I guess, a smarter chef than just being a kitchen guy. Right. For a lot of years, I just thought of myself like I was in the kitchen. I was the chef, I was, in, I was a kitchen guy. But this gave me the opportunity to realize, hmm, I'm more than that, and they need me to be more than that. You needed to know how the front of the house worked and operated. And I had that experience, too, for, for somewhat, but not as extensive as I did there. Um, so I think it really opened my eyes to, well, I need to be more than just a chef. I need to be the, the boss, the manager, the co-owner, the partner, the how, however it plays out in the career, but, but to be that voice, not just a yes man. Right. Um, you know, until you're signing the paychecks, you're still a yes man, but, you know, it's easier to be the yes man when you're a partner than it is to be a yes man when you're just the yes man. For sure. Um, so then, you know, I was with that group for almost five years. It took us about a year and a half to open Eulalie. It was, again, like I said, amazing adventure. We got open. We were extremely busy, extremely successful, lots of accolades, really boosted my career at that point to in Hillsboro, in Pinellas County, I'd made a name for myself over the years, but in Hillsboro, it really helped push me forward. And then I met a gentleman who was 
looking to open a concept here in downtown, just down the road from you lately. And we became friends and I turned down the job opportunity numerous times because I loved where I was at and what I was doing and the people I was with. And finally, just the opportunity for me to be that next step of being the managing partner, the, the director of operations, um, was a step I needed to take for me to be better and to grow my career, but as well for my family and, you know, making those choices that, you know, you have to make every day. What do, you know, what do I do to better myself and to take care of my family? And it led me here to Harpoon Harry's and three years later, we're on track. I'm running two restaurants. We got five that are doing very well. We're very fortunate that we, uh, our owner, Ron Evans, was extremely smart when it came time for COVID and PPA and how he was going to handle his team. We did furlough. We have almost 500 employees. We kept on our management staff and we ran the restaurants doing to-go things. We didn't fire any of our employees. We did a furlough, not even a layoff. So they still were able to receive all the benefits and everything without having to try to search for a job because we knew there was no jobs for them to find. Right. Everything was closed. That's great. Um, and we are back up to 100% of our staff is back that wanted to come back. There was some that had other opportunities or went in different directions or maybe even got out of the out of the hospitality field. Um, so, you know, we wish them the best and we parted ways and, you know, and here we are today. We're, we're chugging along and Tampa here is doing well. Downtown's doing well. Um, it's, it's coming back around. If anybody's been in downtown, you know, a lot of things were closed around us, but, um, you know, we're not just a restaurant. We're part of this community. We wanted people to know, like, we're going to struggle through with you. We're going to be here if you need us and we need you as well. So, please support us and um, you know in Tennessee was the the same thing shut down for months it was four months of shutdown doing just to go orders and and keeping our business afloat so we could have a place for our staff to come back and then we opened back up at 50 percent and fortunately we had one of our best years at 50 percent because we learned to be more efficient we learned where we needed to save money and where we could cut costs but then we also revisited all of our restaurants, revisited our menus. We went to a simpler menu. We made sure we didn't raise any prices. Actually, I know for the two restaurants, um, we actually lowered 80% of our menu and price points by having time to research and find equal or better products at a better price, being able to shop out things, being able to contract buy on things with, with us having five locations. So we were actually able to make money and lower prices, which gave value to our guests. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's uh, the restaurant atmosphere has been a big one. I, everyone uses the word pivot, but I mean, you have to be really agile in our business, whether it's pre-COVID or post-COVID, you know, cutting people and maximizing labor and getting good purchasing. Um, that's really amazing that you were able to do that. A lot of restaurants have really kind of reinvented themselves, and a lot of restaurants either weren't able to or weren't willing to or just very poor leadership that allowed them to either fail or, or close or, or they weren't able to continue the business depending on the city they were in. So that's pretty awesome. You know, you uh, you struck me immediately when we started working together as someone that just has such a creative talent. Um, you know, you mentioned Tableside Guacamole and I remember going to that restaurant before I ever knew you and thinking, God, this is amazing. These are two things that, you know, you have a great show, a fresh product, you're doing it right in front of the guest, you've got this kid walking table to table and everyone sees it so everyone orders it. I mean it was really just a genius in execution and marketing and I've always loved that and then when we got a chance to work together at Ulele, uh I was immediately struck by your ability to create 
you have this like inner cookbook of all the ingredients that are fun, all of the ones that work together. You know, I walked in the kitchen one day and you were making a strawberry barbecue sauce that you were gonna put on a filet and I'll never forget the, the conversation because I was like, I don't think people want strawberry barbecue on a filet in a fine dining restaurant. Are you sure this is gonna work? And we sold out that night and it's just this intuitive understanding of what people love, how to make it beautiful, the menu that you created at Ulele was so diverse and the ingredients were all over the place. It wasn't like you pick the same five and you just adjust how you chop and slice and cook them. Um, where do you find that passion? Like, Where do you find that creative spot? Because it, it is the essence of who you are. Other than being a great showman, you're an amazing creative talent. Like, Where does it come from? Well, I think, you know, I think I'll, I'll give the credit to Tom Pritchard. He kind of put this thing into me that he used to call personal fire. He said, everything comes from within. And if you don't have it within, you won't be successful. He goes, you'll go down that same path as a lot of people do of just everyday humdrum. Now, restaurant business, not easy. You don't see friends, you don't see family, you work every holiday, you work days, nights, weekends. You know, whenever I talk or interview somebody, I say, hey, if you're willing to give up all those things, then you're in the right line. <laughs> um, but I found that along with that daily mundane working, doing the everyday grind, you had to have something that interested you and food was always a passion for me and ever since being a, a kid and my mom working three jobs raising two boys I kind of fended for myself so kind of got creative with hey what's in the cabinet what's in the cupboard or the fridge what can I make and that's kind of where it started um, I was that kid eight years old an easy bake oven not many boys had easy bake ovens right. but I was making cupcakes and I loved it right. <laughs> so I think it was just that and just wanting to be better and wanting to be the man be the boss be the showman be the and I've always kind of had my family growing up before my mom and my, my dad separated my dad was the vice president of Shoney's so as a kid growing up I was born in Tennessee and every year we lived in three cities one semester of school lived in one city next semester I lived in one city the third summertime I lived in a third city so we did that until I was nine years old and that's when my mom and dad separated so I think it became kind of a mechanism for me to develop friends was kind of my personality. I'll talk to anybody. I'll let them talk to me. I'll talk about anything. Um, not the sharpest guy, but I know a little bit of everything. <laughs> but I don't know all of every one thing. Right. Um, so I think it kind of became just part of my personality was that tool to develop friends and to be able to adjust wherever I was and, and to make the environment around me comfortable for me and for people around me. So I think that's kind of where that developed into the passion for food and just seeing that one reaction of that one plate and a whole dinner shift of someone saying the best meal I ever had or great experience. That's the experience that carries me day to day. So I think that passion kind of comes from there. And great thing with food is you mess it up, you make it again. You're not killing anybody. You're not hurting anything. You're not doing anything wrong. You're just experimenting. So Kind of like life, just experiment every day and kind of start to do things. And then you start to develop your own style, I guess, and kind of flavor profiles you're used to and things you know. But I've had a very diverse career. of helped a friend of mine open a very successful uh, company here with the Red Mesa, Red Mesa Cantina, Mexican restaurants. Uh, I got to go and travel with him, stay with his grandmother in Mexico. So got to see some things there. As a kid, I got to go back and forth through Europe, see my family there, backpacking in the summer times. And just going from youth hostel to youth hostel and trying food and different things and so all those little things I got to see a lot of varied products and 
So I just kind of utilize what I think is going to be good. And typically, if I make something that I think is good, most people think is great. So, and then I have a great wife who's my hardest critic. So over the years, she's the one that's pushed me right. to be better at what I do in my craft with, oh, this is great, but if you did this, or this is great, but if you did that, or if you presented it differently. or mm-hmm. So I've always had a little someone in the background pushing me as well. Um, but I, I, it was really mostly just wanting and the desire to do it. And in order to grow, you have to be creative. And when I was working for Tom and he went to open another restaurant and I stayed on as the chef, my first executive chef job was uh, the Grow Feather Sound. And I was 23 years old. I'm in a fine dining, white tablecloth, reservation only lunch and dinner restaurant, 145 seats, and we were doing $8 million a year in 1995. And he's like, okay, this is yours now. I'm going to open another one. I'm like, uh, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready for this. And he's like, you're ready. You just don't know it. Right. And he just put me in the hot seat. So every night I'd go home. And, you know, at that time, you were pulling cookbooks off the shelf. You weren't going online. Mm-hmm. So I was pulling cookbooks. I was reading things, just experimenting. I'd go in early in the mornings, and I would try stuff before anybody would get there because I, I knew it probably wouldn't work. <laughs> so I didn't want to see my staff seeing me fail. Right. So I'd go in and make stuff till I knew how to do it. And then when they'd come in, I'd be like, hey, let's do this. And then I'd look like this hero when I had spent three hours before anybody got there figuring it out. Right. And then when people would go home at night, I'd go home and I'd try to figure it out. Do it again. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I would ask questions and I would – and I've always looked to other people for their help too, that I know every day you learn and every day you should teach. Yep. It's important that you do both. So I think that's what kind of put my passion and my creativity together. Gotcha. Yeah, I was, um, you know, coming from a corporate restaurant group um, to a family-owned restaurant and working with an executive chef versus a kitchen manager, I was very fish out of water. You know, I was like, how does this work? What's our relationship? What does he do that I help him with? What does he do by himself? And what I found right away is not only do you know exactly what the hell you're doing and you do it well, and you're super creative, but the staff, you were the epitome of a great leader in the kitchen. And a lot of people have this stigma of chefs, you know, throw plates and scream at people and, you know, create this unnerving tension so everyone executes at an army level. And what I found with you is everyone executes at a fun high five level. We're congratulating people. They want to do better because they work well under that environment. You nurtured each one of them and you spent and I watched you the first couple months because I'm like, I really need to understand what he's all about so I can help him succeed and he can help me. But you walked around to every person on staff every day. How are you doing? What are we working on today? Here's what I'd like to see out of you. And you nurtured those relationships and there were a lot of attaboys and support, you know, all about their personal life. And I really want to kind of highlight that about you because that's not super typical of chefs maybe 10, 15 years ago. And having worked with a few currently, I feel like the atmosphere is definitely changing. Um, it's more creative, it's more local, you know, we love those words, but you're such an amazing leader in that regard, and it, it was a pleasure working with you in that regard, and it was also a pleasure watching you just instill this passion in all the people that work with you. And I've since worked at other restaurants, and you see a little bit of it. Everyone has a different skill set and talent level, you know what I mean? I always wonder why chefs stay in the kitchen and they don't come out front. And the, the honest truth is, is that's their comfort zone, and that's what they're great at. And you could be anything you want. You could be a politician. You could be an amazing teacher. You have a lot of great skill sets. But you know, the passion and leadership is something I always really, really enjoyed about working with you. 
Um, so traveling back and forth in this new role, you know, you've worked in Tampa for a long time in St. Pete and, and Clearwater and Palm Harbor area, and now you're traveling to Tennessee. Tell me about the difference of the food scenes in each city, that, in each area that you see that's either different or similar or what you're really enjoying right now. Well, you know, the, dif the difference I'd say is here, let's say in Tampa, you know, being a downtown urban, we're kind of a consistent clientele of young business, um, some travelers, but we're, we're definitely in an urban environment. So they're more foodies. They, they want a little more of the higher end. Here in this location, it's the only location we do it. We serve prime steaks. You know, of course, all our fresh seafood and our crab and all that. But they're looking for a little more of that eclectic foodie, a little more of the stuffed hogfish with black caviar. And then you go to Tennessee and you go to Pigeon Forge. And these are families. These are people that are middle class families that are, they're a $50,000 a year family. They're two kids, mom, dad. This is their, their experience that they get this year. So they're trying to save their money. They're trying to go to Dollywood, they're trying to hit the, all the little attractions, they're staying in a cabin, maybe you're in a hotel, and they want to do some whitewater rafting and this. So they, they're trying to be as easy and as frugal with their money as possible, but still have a great experience. So in Tennessee, we have a little more of that, it's a little more of that comfort style where okay. we have, you know, fried catfish and fish and chips and fried shrimp. And then of course we have steaks and, you know, we have pork chops, we have those comfort style foods, some of the things we're looking, some new items we're looking for on menus, a chopstick and a meatloaf. That, that style where people come in, we do $6 kids meals and we offer them fried shrimp or a little snow crab cluster and just so they get a good meal at a, at a great value for the family because we know there it is definitely very value based. Mm -hmm. But we're in Dollywood, we're not a theme restaurant. We're not a restaurant of magic shows or a, a, a renaissance theme or a Dollywood or we're not Paula Deen's we're not a Margaritaville which we have all those there and they're great and they do a great job we're Harpooneries Crab House and what we offer is a great location with quality food and quality service and our slogan is quality food quality service clean and maintained environment we keep our restaurant clean we serve quality food we're a from scratch kitchen um, and we try to do the best we can for value and for families so it's a little more I don't want to use the, the term downscale, but more comfort, more family-oriented. Sure, we're Tampa here. We're more urban. We're more upscale, even though the building itself doesn't have that. We have that little more of that in our food. Mm -hmm. And then in our other locations in Punta Gorda, that, that, that area down there is kind of in between the two because it's a more of a retirement, sleepy town, people with their nice boats. They stay in the harbor. So they want great food, but again, they're retirees, they're older, so they're not looking for that high-end restaurant, but they're not looking for a mom-and-pop comfort place. They're, so we're kind of in the middle with the same thing, and, and all of our restaurants offer the same things, whether our crab pots, our fish and chips, our fried shrimp, but then each location has those little subtle things that sell there that don't know, like, for some reason, Tennessee does not want coconut shrimp. <laughs> but Tampa, I can't keep enough. You can't keep enough. So <laughs> it's just... It's just what it is. Yeah. Well, and I think that's probably the mark of a really good restaurant to be able to accommodate and, you know, reformulate what the priority of their community is. And, you know, you go in there and you offer prime rib and lobster tails, it's not going to work. You don't go out of business. You stop running those items and you run something that those people in that community want, whether they're tourists, they're middle income, you know, whatever they are. I think that's very smart. It's a good business uh, approach for sure. Um, 
when you think of the future, you know, obviously you're here and we're not talking about you leaving here, but in terms of the future, what do you see yourself doing, you know, to reach a different plateau or gain some different experience over time, whether it's with harpoons or not, what would you like to see yourself do? Um, well, I'd like to see myself in a position, you know, I just turned 50 and uh, I'd like to see myself in a position where I can start to enjoy a little bit more time at home with my family. Um, you know, ever since I was in trouble and got out of trouble, I've dedicated the past basically 30 years to get myself on track. You know, kind of a long time span, I guess. But everybody's timing is different. Right, <laughs> it just right. took me a little while. Um, so I'd like to see myself have that opportunity, you know, and then whether or not it's with harpoons or, or, or on my own or whatnot. Um, just really, I, I want to continue to give back because that's what Tom did to me. Mm -hmm. And he has passed on but I don't I'm pretty sure he realizes but I'm a lot like him as far as the way I handle my staff the way I teach the way I try to personally coach and like you had mentioned you know it's very important that you know somebody at home how their life is who their kids are because if you don't know what they're going through every day and you don't know what they need well they're not going to come to work happy or want to come to work right. or whatever but if you know those things, hey, how was the baseball game last night? Or how's your son doing? Or how's your daughter? I know they were sick. Or is there anything you need? You need to get out earlier. They got a recital or anything. Then you make sure that you take care of them for that. They'll always come back and take care of you. One of the things I can say, you know, in my career even, but, you know, I'll speak about you lately, but my career is I've always wanted to have a team that I can say to them, guys, I need you to go outside and wash my car. I'm going to do a catering. And they're like, we already did. Um, <laughs> You know, things like that, which it's a funny kind of example, but when I was at Flamestone, we used to do a lot of off-sites, and we had our company car, and every time we had a catering, I had one guy, he would go out in the morning, and he would wash the van to make sure it was clean, so when I'd get to the catering, I didn't look like, I didn't take pride in the vehicle that was going in. He washed the outside, he vacuumed the inside, he cleaned it up. So those kind of things are what I want to instill in other people about we're a team, where it's not just me, I don't do this by myself, and I've always known that I don't do it by myself. Right. Um, so I think that, and then them knowing that I truly care. When someone truly cares about you, you want to care about them. And you don't want to leave them hanging. You don't want to cut them short. You don't want to not do your best you can. And I've always told everyone, you give me 100%, and your 100% is different than my 100%, different than his 100%. But if we're all doing 100%, and yours doesn't equal ours, we'll carry you, because you're going to carry us another day. Right. So I think that was kind of just... Again, Tom kind of taught me that in the just lead them, but be there with them. Right. Lessons over cutting salmon, basically, right? Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Well, very cool. Um, you know, the podcast is basically about restaurants. It's about leadership. It's about operations and, and the journey. If you look back at your life and you were to go back as a silent mentor or a coach, and if you were going to whisper something into your ear that would make a big difference in your career or life, what would you say to a younger version of yourself? What would you say that would be impactful uh, or would change things at all? Well, I'd say work hard, be respectful, be honest, and just know that you're the one who's going to have to do it. Don't rely on someone else for something you need to do for yourself, and you have to do it. But if you're honest, you're hardworking, you're respectful, the other things will fall in place. And you'll meet people, like as I met you, that you respect and you look up to. And, and you know those are people you'll have in your life that will either be there when you need them or you're there when they need you. Or somewhere in life your, your paths will cross again and opportunities might open. And 
And that's just, I, I like to think that there's no one out there with a bad word to say about me. I know there is, but I like to think there's not because I don't burn bridges. I don't try to downplay someone else's troubles or, you know, force them into things they're not happy with or, you know, making, forcing people to come to work or doing things when they have other obligations. And those are the things I think that if you do those, you'll just be happier in your career. And then that'll create success and being humble. Yeah, th those are all good. The, the humble one is difficult, especially when you're talented and you're working hard for something that is really important to you. Um, but you're right, because when you're humble, the people around you want to be with you. They want to share your journey. They want to give everything they have, like you said, um, and, and really make it happen. That's really good advice. Yeah, it's a business and industry of working hard. There's yeah. no way around that, that's no. for sure. Um, and I think being humble definitely is one of the, the key things, like you know, like you had said. I had When I first went to Tennessee, I was going up there just for a couple months to help out through the summer. It would have been the third summer I was doing that since I joined the company. And uh, there was a guy there. He was a sous chef. And at that time, they had the chef. And he thought he was going to, you know, play his cards of, well, who are you? You're coming here trying to tell us how to run our business. You haven't been here for a year. And so he wanted to tell me about how he was in the Army and he went to – CIA and they paid for it and rattle off all these little terms. I'm like, I batonate vegetables and I concassate tomatoes. I'm like, oh, that's great. He's like, you know, but what have you done? What have you done? I said, well, you know, I've been with a company a couple of years. Didn't, I, I don't really like to put it out there, you know. My, my wife says that's one thing I'm bad about is I don't like to show the things I've done. So he wanted to push and push and push. So finally I had to one day just kind of look at him and say, well, let me tell you about me. I said I got to cook at the NFL experience for the Super Bowl. I got to cook at the Kentucky Derby. I was a chef for the Rays for the first three years they were together. Said I've been on Curtis uh, Aiken's Cooking Light Show. I've had numerous celebrity chefs come into our restaurants. I said I'm friends with Lois Ellen Frank, Mark Murphy. Um, you know, Robert Irvine said my meatloaf is the best he ever had. It is. <laughs> <laughs> things like that. So, uh, you know, I don't like to use those things because that's not who I am today. Who I am today is me. And I'm a working chef, and that's just who I am. You know, those are all great accolades, but you are who you are, mm -hmm. not who people see on a piece of paper. If you, if you bing Eric, Chef Eric Lackey and you get six pages of just random things of me and competitions and shows and Right, that's things. not you. Those are things that you did. But those are things you. I did, not, not who I am. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you have an amazing wife. You know, she's obviously had a big part of your life and your success, and that's what we need in our relationships. Um, but she's right. You know, that's... From the outside, that's what makes people more likable, is they're not walking around touting their resume. And, and you don't really need to do that. If, if you were inexperienced or hoping that you could be better someday, those are usually the people that I find are touting their resume. Um, they're not quite there yet. They want to show you and they think they are, which is, you know, I think that's natural in life. Sure. Um, but it's, it's part of what makes you amazing. So, well, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me. It's always awesome to see you, but I appreciate you helping me with this podcast. And, you know, the purpose is basically to let people know in the industry that there are successes, there are paths to success, there are ways to achieve great things, um, and not everyone has to be an executive chef or managing partner or own a conglomerate of restaurants, but the passion of our industry uh, and what makes it great is the hard work and the connections that we make with people, and I think that um, you are one of the best at those that I've ever worked at, and, and I appreciate you sharing that with everyone. Well, thank you. Well, again, I respect you very much, and, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be on your show. And, you know, we've always had a great relationship, and I thought we've always worked well together. And 
maybe our futures will uh, cross again. Maybe, maybe. All right, so this is From the Frying Pan. Uh, Vince Cassay is your host. Thank you for listening. There will be more interviews to come. And if you visit the website, www.vincentcassay.com, uh, hit me up. Let's talk about restaurant stuff, how I can help support, or uh, just figure out what's going on and, and be able to help people run better restaurants is the ultimate goal. So signing off, have a great shift. Thank you so much.